Hey, everybody, welcome to season three of Fearless Women Podcast. Thanks for joining us weekly as we bring you inspiring true stories from around the world. I'm Janice McDonald, your host and global champion for women. For more great stories, pick up a copy of my beautiful best selling book, Fearless Girls with Dreams, Women with Vision. It's available everywhere. A big shout out to our listeners from all around the globe, including USA, UK, Australia, France, Canada, hello, and so many more countries. Love, love, love having you join us. I'm thinking about you, and I hope you're doing all right out there. Hmm. Now, are you looking for some inspiring reading this summer? My next guest has written a deeply moving and insightful book that I know you are going to love. Layla Taraf is the author of Strong Like Water, How I Found the Courage to Lead with Love in Business and in Life. Layla is going to offer us insights and inspiration for finding a natural balance and leading as a whole person with compassion, courage, intellect, empathy, with tons of examples from her deeply personal book. Welcome to the show, Layla Taraf. Thank you so much, Janice. I'm so happy to be here. All right. So you've written this uh, incredibly inspiring book. And I want to let people know a few more things about you because your career uh-huh. is so impressive. All right. Graduated with an MBA from the Haas School of Business at University of California at Berkeley, became one of the founding team members at walmart.com, then served as chief people officer at Pete's Coffee and Tea, that iconic San Francisco Bay Area premium coffee company, and then woo, <laughs> currently <laughs> chief people officer at Allbirds. I love this company, the sustainable <laughs> shoes and clothing company whose products are made from natural materials like merino wool and eucalyptus. Oh, you have so many examples of being fearless in your career and in life. And your inspiring book is packed with insights. But before we jump into that, let's just talk about kind of the the high, high level uh, idea around opportunities and reinvention and saying yes. So you've moved to all these different organizations in your career. Again, you're uh, currently chief people officer at Allbirds. Love, love, love the shoes including I even have the flats that my sister got for me and she, I know, and she has them in every style. Now, how, how have you decided what's kind of the approach that you take to uh, say, okay, now's the right time to move to the next opportunity. I know that our listeners would love to hear the, the kind of approach that, that you Layla have taken. It's a great question. Uh, I, I, if I think deeply, I think, I try to stay in sync with my values and what the organization's mission is as much as I can, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. it it, it will ebb and it will flow. But for me, when I feel that my growth and impact has slowed, or maybe that what what, what I believe in or my values may be out of sync with the direction of the company, if that dissonance continues for an extended period of time, that's when I start thinking, hmm, maybe I've taken this as long as I should. Mm-hmm. And so when I was at Walmart, 
we when we started Walmart, it was set up as a completely separate company. Walmart.com, the internet division, was set up as a completely separate company from Walmart Inc. back in Bentonville, Arkansas. This was late 99, 2000, when the internet was just getting going. And we were a little startup out here in Silicon Valley, very, very different than uh, a bricks and mortar retailer out in Bentonville, Arkansas. But over my seven years there, the relationship with Walmart Inc. changed and we became over time a wholly owned subsidiary and all paths led to Arkansas. And I knew I wasn't going to move from San Francisco to Bentonville. And so it just became obvious that my time was going to come to an end eventually there. And lucky enough, I had a wonderful relationship with my CEO at the time. And I wanted to let him know. I wanted to be very open and forthright. And he said, well, gosh, I know a recruiter who's looking for the chief people officer at Pete's. And he threw my name in the hat. And, and that's how that came to be. So a little bit organic, but a little bit of, mm, I think our paths might be going in different direction. And at Pete's, we sold the company. So that was a very natural end to an era, right? When ownership of a company changes. Mm -hmm. So th those are a couple of ways I've, I've moved. You've really highlighted something incredibly important. So first of all, the just being open and uh, transparent with your boss and, and how powerfully that led to a new opportunity, but also that idea of having that champion and sponsor in your corner that opens up an opportunity. How incredible. That's, that's very so moving. True. Yeah. So right. true. Yeah. So you have many examples of being fearless in your career and life. And the book is packed. It's just so inspiring. It's packed with insights. So why did you write this book? What was the, what was the big goal? You know, I, I went through a period in my life about five years where I experienced a lot of loss. And it was the first time really in my life that I had this level of hardship. Uh, I was, it was my first year at Pete's. I was learning how to be an executive at a public company. I had a three-year-old daughter. And then my husband passed when my daughter was three, suddenly, tragically. And there's a whole story around it. And then my father had a stroke in his late 60s and died 15 months after my husband. And then my mother had a stroke and then died a couple of years after. So really during my entire tenure at Pete's, a position that I was worried that I wasn't real, that I was an imposter, that I didn't have the goods to, to perform in the role as we often do, I was really dealing with three big losses. And those losses ended up being the catalyst for tremendous personal growth because it taught me a lot about myself, how I had held myself until that time, what I allowed myself to feel. And through those experiences, I think I came out uh, a better, more authentic, more vulnerable person, which made me a better leader and a better mother and a, and a better person, I think. And um, the journey was dark and up and down, and I never knew where I was. But when I made my way out and started to unpack my learnings and my insights uh, and starting, started to share some of the stories with friends, more often than not, I heard uh, things like, oh, yeah, I do that too, or oh, that really resonates with me. And I realized pretty quickly that while the details of my story were unique to me, that we all 
are on this similar journey, right? If we're lucky, we're all on this journey back to our true and authentic selves, the journey of personal growth and, and transformation. And I thought, if telling my story can help others, can shine a light on where they are, on their path, then I've always been inspired to make an impact in the world. That's really why I, I, I published the book. I started writing it down just so I would make more sense of my story. And then as it came together, I realized that it could actually help others. But during, <laughs> I mean, each of those occurrences, those losses alone are so uh, significant, but stacked together unimaginable in that compressed amount of time. And sometimes you must have felt like, can I even get through this? And yet you come out of it with a deep understanding of of how to integrate parts of yourself that that's strong and soft. It's it's so inspiring. Tell us more. You know, I um I have always been, I've always had this, this um, idea of myself that I'm strong and capable. I just don't give up. And it's, it's interesting to hear you say that I'm fearless because I think I'm scared all the time. <laughs> I think you feel <laughs> afraid and tentative. I think the difference is I just don't allow myself to get stuck for too long. I do get stuck. Everybody does. Mm -hmm. But then I, I'm like, okay, well, this isn't doing anything. What can I do? What small step can I make in the right direction? I think oftentimes what paralyzes us is we, we imagine what it would take to get completely on the other side of something. And it seems so big, so overwhelming that we can't imagine what, what, you know, what the first step is. And I just take a tiny step and again, and again, and again, and I think for me, because my um, my uh, idea of myself, my persona was, you know, so I can do anything. I think the universe gives you what you need to grow. And I think for me, it took three big losses because I think one may not have knocked me down <laughs> as hard as I needed to be. Wow. Uh, and to be just more specific, I think I probably could have uh, just sort of intellectualized one loss and tucked it away or uh, made excuses for it. But three in a row where I saw a pattern of my inability to really allow myself to grieve, to feel my feelings, to be honest about what was happening. I thought, okay, something's broken here and I need to take a look at this. Tell us more about letting go of that hero persona. And, <laughs> you know, the <laughs> Suddenly now, as you let go of it, there's new gifts that yes. uh, <laughs> that emerge. Tell us what, what that's all about. I think it's so hard. Whatever identity, whatever persona we decide that is who we are, it's not true, right? For me, it was the hero persona. And, you know, my my hero persona said that I was strong and capable, that I didn't need anybody's help, that I could go it alone. And of course, that's not true. And the longer we allow ourselves to live in this narrative or this story that we develop for ourselves, I think it brings suffering to us. Because I'm not saying that I wasn't those things. I'm just saying I was way more than those things. The story was incomplete. And I think we develop our narrative early in life as a way to help us survive whatever our childhood brings us. I had 
Um, you know, my parents were immigrants. We moved here from Beirut when I was seven. New, new country, new language, uh, new culture, new way of being. My mom and dad did not have a strong marriage. They fought a lot. I was the eldest of three children. And so pretty quickly, I decided that, you know what, in order for me to get the love and the attention I need from my parents, I just need to be um, very low maintenance. I need to not have a lot of needs and I need to just take care of myself. And then um, that'll help them. And then they'll love me. Right. We all, we all, we all of us do these crazy distorted things uh, that we make up when we're young to get our parents love and attention and praise. And then later in life, it's our job to examine that story and say, gosh, is that true? Can I only be this one thing to get, you know, the love and the, the attention and, and the praise that I need in life and for me, uh, that was the story that I had to unpack and, uh, and in so doing, um, you know, allow myself to, to see that, you know what, I, I can be weak, I can be overwhelmed, I can uh, admit that I don't know what to do. To hear myself say that, it sounds like, well, of course, but, but those were unthinkable for me 10 years ago. Well, and there's no uh, thought, playbook, right? You're not handed no this, especially for the kind of uh, just it, it's such an incredible experience of loss one, two, three stacked together. And um, so let's let's expand on that dysfunction in a family. Um, yes. You know, this idea of uh, you, your mother and and then how you've changed as the mother of a daughter, how mm. you've changed uh, the patterns Tell, tell us more. Well, I don't know that I'm the expert. I certainly understand the dysfunction within my family because it was up close and personal. Yeah. Yeah. You don't um, have to I comment on all that. families. <laughs> no, <laughs> just, just yours. All familial dysfunction. <laughs> um, I read once that, um, that the sign is, of a dysfunctional family is one where each member has a fixed role. And you don't feel like you can play any other role besides that one. And when I read that, that really resonated with me. In my family, I was the person that took care of everything. So there was no room to be anything else. And so I kind of got stuck in that. And again, there were gifts that came out of that. And then at some point, the, that, that narrative hits a, hits a shelf life. And so I think for all of us, First, recognizing, being aware of what that dysfunction is, because uh, you usually don't, the, the, the first step is just seeing it, right? If it's all you've ever known, you don't know that there's anything else. So you think, well, that's just the way it is. So really, the first step is to recognize like, oh, wait, this is not how all families are. This is not how all people hold themselves. And then to allow yourself to... Um, stay with the discomfort of that dissonance, which I um, was a master at reframing everything to the positive. I would never allow myself to stay with any sort of negative thought or idea because I just didn't understand the purpose of it. <laughs> and now I recognize that's the only way you grow. And so, you know, I had a, I, my mother was lovely. And now that she's gone, I know how much she loved me. Um, but she didn't have a lot of capacity to be a mom. She was a young mother. And uh, so when I stepped in to take over that role, she let me. I was the eldest. I was strong. And so that ended up 
reversing the dynamic in our relationship where I prematurely became the mom and she the daughter. And inside, I resented that, of course, right? I, wa I wanted all children need their mother. And ironically enough, my daughter, after my husband passed, about a year or two afterwards, started to try to do the same thing with me, started to try to come in and, and take on my pain. And luckily, I, you know, knew a little more than my mother and my daughter was seeing a therapist at the time. She was five years old. And he said, he sat me down and he said, look what she's doing. He goes, boy, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, which is crazy. I never <laughs> taught her to do that. And right. he said, you need to make sure she knows that you're the mom and she's the daughter. And I would say it very playfully with her. I would say, don't you know that it's my joy to be your mother? Don't take that joy away from me. I said, let me take care of you for the first 25 years and you can take care of me. Mm. <laughs> and so in that way, I was able to break the, the one of the familial dysfunction of my family. And I honestly, if there's nothing else I do in this life, I feel like that is enough right there. That's huge. You've, um, you've talked about the importance of uh, getting professional help uh, for yourself. Just tell us, tell us about how you came to that decision and thoughts and, and um, suggestions you would have for our listeners. I think that getting professional help, whatever it looks like for you is critical on our journeys because you can't see outside of your mind, right? Your world is within your mind and you need a guide to help you reframe and experience things differently. And I love this saying, when the student is ready, the teacher appears. Mm -hmm. So you can have many, many different teachers in your life. And for me, I have had so many. I've had uh, formal, you know, therapists, psychotherapists. I've had my coaching instructors, my coaching school when I went back and, and got my certification, yoga, um, uh, broader community, uh, somatic uh, healers. Uh, there's so many ways to um, expand your consciousness. You just have to be a little curious. And what I say all the time, lean into the resistance, lean into the discomfort, because if you run away the second you feel a little bit of discomfort, which was my MO for a long time, you stay stuck, you don't grow. So whatever that is, it's a book you could read. It's a conversation you have with a person that triggers you. You're like, I don't want to know that. <laughs> uh, what, whatever, I think it avails itself to you if you're just open. So you were so overwhelmed with grief. And how did you ensure that you didn't get stuck? Stay stuck, really? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Gosh, I think the first thing I did was I reconnected with my, with my therapist, who I had worked with 10 years earlier. And he was my constant uh, touch point. I had a very, very um, supportive um, workplace at Pete's at the time. My CEO was so supportive. It, it shocked me a bit because he's kind of a tough guy and not a softy at all. <laughs> uh, and his ability to uh, just make space for me to have days where I just needed to go home. In fact, I was so wired to just go hard that we had the memorial for my husband on a Saturday and I went back to work on a Monday. 
money. There were people mm. like, what, what, what are you doing here? I'm like, what? It's over. I wrapped it up in, in, a, in a bento box and oh I put the on it. And they looked at me like, oh, like they were so yeah. shocked. And I did it for six months, Janice. Wow. And then one day I walked into my boss's office. I said, um, I think I need to take a break. He goes, well, that took a lot longer than I thought. He goes, yes, go take a break. I think they were all waiting for me to hit the wall. Wow. And I just kept going because that's what I do. Mm-hmm. So I think for me, what I had to break, you know, some people fall apart and can't get up. What I had to break was just keep going and push yourself, but, but, but push yourself by pushing everything down. Mm. And eventually the work I was doing with my therapist and with the books I was reading and with the yoga that I was doing, it started to crack me open and I couldn't keep it together enough to keep going to work. So I took six weeks off and that's really when I softened and realized like, gosh, I need to figure out a different way of being. Okay. So six weeks off uh, after six months, you finally hit the wall. Uh, <laughs> what happened? And, and how did you know, like why six weeks? How did you know six was enough? And then what were you up to uh, during those six weeks? It's a great question. I, I was so stubborn that the first two weeks, I just kept myself busy. <laughs> I, uh, I I cleaned the house. I reorganized my CDs. I And then there was a moment and I remember it so clearly where I stopped and I thought you're doing it again. You're distracting Mm. yourself. And so I uh, decided to start doing this yoga practice called Anusara, which is really heart opening Mm. yoga. And it's these poses that just physically open you up. And I started having these experiences, just deep emotional experiences where I would, I would be in a pose. And I would just start crying. Like Mm. all this emotion came up. And at first I was like, what is happening here? And that's really when I started realizing that the way I had held myself for so long and pushed down my emotions that it was stuck inside of me. If you don't, one of my biggest learnings is if you don't process your emotions, they don't just disappear. They just continue to get pushed further and further down and they are, they are inside you. And so when you start to allow yourself Mm -hmm. to open and not push away the sadness or the fear, uh, they all come up and there was a lot there because it's been about 40 years of lockdown. (laughs) And, and so I think that's what started to really get me to open up. And, you know, there, as you said earlier, there's no play, there's no playbook for grief. It comes in big crashing waves, as I say in my book, and sometimes soft ripples. And even today, I'll have moments of melancholy. Uh, right, Father's Day was yesterday. Mm-hmm. You know, my father's gone. My daughter's father is gone. We had mm-hmm. a moment. And it's just allowing ourselves to be in that moment and to feel it and and not not feel compelled to push away that that negative feeling. It doesn't kill you. It does actually make you stronger. Hmm. And are there any, uh, cause we've got your amazing book, any other books that you would point people, um, that might be on this journey that, yes. Yeah. What would yes. you like to recommend? There's or? a couple that I actually talk about in, in my book. One that was so powerful for me was Michael Singer, the untethered soul. Do you know mm, it? I do. That is beautiful. I think that what I loved about that book was it starts very practically where it talks about the inner critic and and that voice in your head. And you're like, yeah, okay, I can relate to that. Mm -hmm. And then he takes you all the way through and he ties it 
to how we are really all just spiritual beings. And if we can break through the resistance, we on the other side, there's just this infinite expansiveness. I always thought if I picked up the book to the very end and read it, I would have been like, oh, brother, and put it away. But because, because I couldn't relate to it, it was so far from my reality, but because he took me and he takes us on this journey that connects the dots from being caught and being snagged by your ego to the process of letting go and opening up and opening your heart. Uh, it just was like, of course, this is the journey for all of us. It was really powerful. That's such a great suggestion. I know uh, I've read it and I have some other friends that have read it that sat with a lot of disquiet after it. Like, sort of like, <laughs> yes. I got some thinking to do here. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you know, it's like, hmm, dot, dot, dot. So that's such a great suggestion. Any others you'd like to that's point people in? That's a good in? way of saying it. Um, <laughs> there was a little known book called The Sacred Purpose of Being Human. Oh, I don't know and that one. Yes, it was. It's by Jacqueline Small, who uh, I actually reached out to her to get her permission to use some of the quotes, and she was lovely enough to to respond back. What What really struck me about that book was this this uh, phrase that she used. She said, "We are not human beings trying to be spiritual. We are spiritual beings trying to be human." Mm. And there was something in that that touched me so deeply because. My, again, my worldview was I was sort of strong and capable and I was trying to soften and be more you know, spiritual or more flowing. And the what she sort of turned that on her head and said, no, actually, you're already spiritual. You're just trying to figure out how to be spiritual in this man-made material world. And, I, and I've heard different versions of that, which is it is the most sensitive of us that shut ourselves down so that we can deal with with the world and so starting to think of myself as someone who was sensitive who was very feeling um and having to reconnect with that versus someone who was kind of tough and had to develop these feelings uh really really shifted uh my my self-view she also talks about the chakras and how you know the there's seven mm-hmm. chakras and the mm-hmm. and the lower three chakras are what ground you to being human and your physical aspects the top three chakras are what tie you to the divine and the fourth chakra is your heart and your heart becomes the gateway to your you know your spiritual self and so again that really I like that makes sense because there's no way you connect to the divine, whatever you want to believe in, whether that's you or, or God or um, is, is through your heart by opening your heart. You don't get there by holding on to anger and uh, not being able to forgive and, and yourself first and foremost. So all of that really resonated with me. The power of opening yourself up and allowing this, you know, journey to go on it and and to become uh, your true, full, authentic self is so moving. What happens though for those that you know may not have the kind of catalyst experiences that you did? What's your advice for women to kind of say, you know, especially ambitious women that have successful careers like yours in some form? What, what do you want them to to know and think about? 
I think a few things. I, I think human nature is such that we don't change until the pain of staying the same is, is greater than the pain mm. of changing. <laughs> so so now I hope it's not uh, experiencing what I did, but you know, everyone has their their point. It could be an illness. It could be they're not doing well at work. So the best advice I can give for people who are wired like me, who tend to distract and deflect and pretend, it's like, just slow yourself down and quiet your mind. However you want to do that, walking in nature or meditation uh, and pay attention to what is not working right now to where you feel stuck, where the energy is not flowing. All this information is available to us if we just pay attention and then stay with that, stay with that dissonance, that disquiet uh, and, and try to feel into what might be coming up for you. And uh, if you do that long enough, something will arise. So we started this podcast by you saying, how do you know when to leave? Yeah. I will probably think for two years, like, gosh, is it time for me to leave? I'll check and check in with myself. Mm -hmm. so, you know, feels like maybe my impact is getting, you know, uh, is being minimized or it's not as much as I want it to be. And, and then something great will happen. I'm like, no, I'm in, it's good. And then it'll come back down again. And eventually I'll be like, yeah, it's time. And so I think we know if we allow ourselves to stay with our quiet, because that is our true self inside, uh, really speaking to us. And then it's be courageous enough to just make that one small step. What could it be? It doesn't have to be quitting your job. <laughs> it could mm -hmm. be um, exploring what could be interesting. It could be um, uh, volunteering somewhere. It could be mentorship. It could be writing an article, whatever it is that lights you up. It could be taking a class. That's the other thing I say is pay attention to what lights you up and what brings you joy inside and what depletes you of energy that, you know, what makes you kind of like physically like push back and go, mm, I don't want to do that. <laughs> because again, our body and our hearts, they give us clues if we just listen. Mm -hmm. Robin Sharma, uh, who wrote the book, uh, The Monk Who Sold His Ferrari, he talks about yes. the idea of using joy as a GPS. So the people, yes. the places, the things, the events, you know, that spend more time with that. And to your point, you know, those energy depleting activities, uh, edit those out, <laughs> you know, get get clear on on what those different things might be for you. So I love that. What about um, you talked about this, this um idea of being firm yet kind. And that can sometimes be confusing or maybe confusing is the wrong word. It can be challenging at times for, mm -hmm. uh, particularly for uh, uber successful women leaders. So, you know, you want to lead from a place of strength and love, but, you know, firm yet kind, it's such a, a powerful approach. So tell us more. Sure. It does seem uh, uh, like a dichotomy, doesn't it? Like you can't mm -hmm. do both. <laughs> I don't always get this right. Sometimes I'm just firm and firm, <laughs> but <laughs> usually I recognize if that's the case and um, I'm able to have the humility to go back, particularly with my daughter, right? Like you, you tend to lose it on your um, kids more easily than <laughs> others. But <laughs> at, at, at work and in the workplace, I would say there is a way to connect with someone as a person even if you're delivering a hard message. 
I think oftentimes people think, oh gosh, I need to give feedback and this is going to hurt the other person. And we don't want to be with someone that we are hurting. We don't want to be with those feelings. And so we just take this package of of, uh, information and throw it over the fence and be like, uh, you're not doing your job. And and we kind of, (laughs) right. And I think that's not kind. It's firm, but it's not kind. And I have learned that um, sitting down with someone and saying, hey, I have some tough news to deliver for you. Um, I Or I have just have some feedback. I have noticed, and you make the observation, and you say, and I'm wondering if you see that too. Mm-hmm. And so you, you can start from a place of connection um, and um, openness and curiosity, and you don't have to um, close it out in one meeting, right? Because often, I don't think people um, perform badly because they want to. I think they just don't know. It's a blind spot, right? So a lot of giving feedback is really just uh, piecing it out and staying in connection with someone um, while you are able to give the hard feedback. And you can empathize with how the person is feeling, like they don't feel great that they're getting this feedback. You can empathize with that while you are giving them the feedback. Mm-hmm. It is it is possible, right? It's I, I do think uh, about it a lot, like parenting, where you tell like your no, you can't have ice cream for dinner. You can have the broccoli, and then we'll see if you can have your ice cream. So you're being <laughs> firm, but you're being very kind. And I think that requires greater um, emotional capacity, which is why if we if we do all these things we're talking about, which is to stay with the resistance and dissonance you do end up building greater emotional capacity. So you can increase your ability to stay with, to stay with suffering is what my, is what my coaching instructor called it, but just stay with the ickiness. People Mm -hmm. can tell when you can't stay with the hard conversation. And so the conversation will end up being very superficial, but if they can feel that you can hold the space for it, they will go there. And that's the gift of of this whole incredible journey that you've been on. And uh, there's so much more in the book. And I want to encourage everybody to pick up a copy of this, Strong Like Water, How I Found the Courage to Lead with Love in Business and in Life. Final question for you, Layla. What's your dream for women leaders everywhere? Oh, that's a good question. You know, I think... More than anything, I would love for them to believe in themselves, for them to know that they are more powerful than they realize, even if they think they know. I still today um, often find that I'm metering myself back. Mm. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm very confident in what I do and who I am, but I still pull back just a little. And I always have to say, what are you doing? Believe in yourself. You can do it. Um, there's, we have so much power and it comes through community and connection. I think the most exciting thing that's happening right now and the post me too, and, uh, everything, all the cultural norms shifting now, uh, at least in the Western world is that women are finding their voice 
we are speaking and we are coming together and that makes us more powerful because I think it is by dividing us that weakens us. And I feel the most powerful when I am connected, having these conversations with other women who are, who are also on that exploration. That is so powerful and so true. I have to ask one more question. Yes, of course. Layla. What's your favorite shoe? <laughs> What's your favorite <laughs> Allbird shoe? Which one are you like, Janice? If you don't already have this one, get it. What would you like to recommend? <laughs> I love our dashers. They have a little more support. So if I'm going to be uh, going out on a run, um, it just provides me my our tree dasher. So they're made out of tree. They're very um, they're very breathable. And, uh, and they provide great support and they're so cute. Um, and, and we have a trail shoot coming out. I'm super excited about it. <laughs> okay. I'll be watching for that one too. Yes. So you have been listening to the, uh, deeply inspiring Layla Taraf again, the book strong like water, how I found the courage to lead with love in business and in life. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the fearless oh. women podcast. And I hope you promise to come back again, because I know there's, we have to continue this conversation. I promise. It's been wonderful. Thank you so much, Janice. Thank you again. Thanks for listening. We want our community to grow. Tell your friends, follow us on Instagram and sign up for our newsletter at fearlesswomenpodcast.com to get the early scoop. Thanks again to our amazing sponsors, BDC, Lockheed Martin and Export Development Canada. Subscribe in Apple Podcasts or in your favorite app. And if you like what you hear, give us a five-star rating. I'm Janice McDonald. Stay fearless. Thank you to Export Development Canada, the international risk experts, for your support of the Fearless Women podcast. Supporting Canadian companies of all sizes succeed on the world stage. EDC takes your worries away and helps you grow your business with confidence. When your business has no borders, neither does your potential. Find out more at edc.ca slash women in trade. Thank you to BDC, the bank devoted exclusively to entrepreneurs for your support of the Fearless Women podcast. We love smart companies that want to amplify women's voices. For more information, go to bdc.ca slash women.